You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and look at 1 Samuel chapter 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. I know we've been there for quite some time. I'm going to read one verse from there. And then we're going to go to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse number 5. You're familiar with the story if you've been here for the last couple of weeks. We've been here for quite a while now. David is on the run. He finds security for his parents now in the land of Moab. And he goes to a hold, a strong place, a cave that he can find rest and safety. And so while he's there now in verse number 5, we find these words. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hole. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Harith. Uh, The verse may not mean much to you, but I want to point out some things this morning that I believe to be relevant and that we will get back to in just a few moments toward the end of the service. Um, Gad just shows up. He's a prophet. He's an Old Testament prophet. And just let you know this, the Old Testament prophet was an individual who who was given divinely inspired messages, okay? And and we saw that already in Samuel for Saul. We see that now with Gad and David. These are individuals who God used to speak to his people in this economy. And you say, oh, that's really cool. Some guy could just get up and say, hey, God said this and God said that. And, And no, it's not the case. If a prophet said something, and it did not come to pass. If his word was found not to be true, then it was the job of the whole nation of Israel to kill him. He was stoned. So, so the idea is that, listen, just so that you know, when these guys spoke, if they were going to say, thus saith the Lord, it, it better be from the Lord. And Gad was this prophet. So I want you to notice, he comes to David and says, David, I know you think you're safe. I know you think you're okay. But I have to tell you something, you've got to get out of here. It's not safe. Gad, for us today, and I'm not making uh, an exaggeration here, he would be a walking Bible. He, he, is, he is the equivalent to David of the Word of God. And he says to David, listen, let me give you some instruction. Let me give you some direction. Get out of here. This is not a safe place for you. And that's Gad. He just shows up, he proclaims the word of God, and David heeds it, listens, and leaves. We won't get there for some time now, probably for about 20 years, but eventually we'll be in 2 Samuel. Okay? And in 2 Samuel, verse number 24, Gad, this prophet, appears again. And David now has sinned. Because of his pride and his arrogancy, he numbers the people. And Gad comes and said, hey, David, listen, God is not pleased. God is not happy. You have sinned. And so the word of God now comes to David, and it rebukes him. It it confronts him. It exposes his pride. And just a few verses later, in chapter 24 of 2 Samuel, Gad again comes to David, and here's what he says. He says, listen, David, you need to repent. And after you repent, here's how you worship, build an altar. And so what I want you to see from this is Gad as the word of God coming to David and David listening and heeding, it saves his life. Okay? It saves his life. This is important. Not only because we'll be back to this in a few moments at the end of the service, but this is important because 
In the book of 1 Samuel, there's this contrast that goes on through the whole book. Remember Saul, the king that we'll talk about in just a moment? Saul had a prophet too, a man of God, who gave him the word of God. His name was Samuel. And it was all good until until Samuel said something to Saul that Saul didn't like. And so Saul said, I'm done with that. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to ignore the word of God. And when he does, Samuel leaves Saul, and Saul is left without direction, without the word of God. And you know this. He makes a mess of his life. He destroys his life. And so there's a comparison that goes on. Saul is by himself without the word. He makes a mess. David has Gad who shows up, the word of God. He instructs, he convicts, he he teaches him how to, to worship and to repent. And David is a man of direction. And what I want to say to you this morning is this, and be careful, for many of us as believers, even today, we are more like Saul when it comes to the word of God than David. And my hope and prayer this morning is this, that as we look at our text, that that you will understand the importance of the word of God. I want you to know something this morning. We believe that the God of heaven is a speaking God. We believe he has spoken. We believe that through creation, creation shouts out that how great thou art. Even today, we, we have these single cells and these, 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 these organisms that we think are so simplistic, and yet scientists don't even understand how it works. It shouts out a creator. God has revealed himself through creation, but God has not stopped there. He has revealed himself through his word. This is it. And we believe that God has revealed himself through this word. We can trust it. We can abide by it. We can live by this word. And what I want you to know this morning is this. I want you to understand the importance of having this, first and foremost. Listen to me. This morning, 2014, there are 50,000 believers, like you, like me, if you know Christ, who are in hard concentration camps in North Korea right now because of this. 50,000. This, for them, is worth it. And and, and I I think sometimes we take this for granted that we have the word of God. Men and women have been burnt at the stake for this book. It is not to be thrown on a shelf. It is not to be tucked away. It is not an ornament that we have or something that we just carry to church. It is the word of God. I want you to understand the importance of of having it. I want you to understand the, the importance of knowing it. Knowing it. This is God's word for you. This is God's word for me. We must know it. It is not enough just to come on Sunday morning and hear a message and think we're okay. God has revealed himself through his word. He has given us everything we know know for life and godliness in his word. It is for us to know. Do you know this book? And then I want you to see the importance of not just having it and knowing it, but applying it to your life. It's not just to learn a memory verse and get a gold star. It's to apply to our lives. And so tuck that away because we'll be back there in just a few minutes. Look now at at 1 Samuel chapter 24. We continue our story with David. David is still on the run. Verse number 1, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. 
Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And so here's what's happening. David is still on the run. Saul has just engaged the Philistines. He's been victorious, obviously. And he has spies who say, listen, David is hiding in the wilderness in Gedi. So Saul now makes a trip 30 miles, over 30 miles to track down David. He wants him dead. Saul brings 3,000 of the choicest warriors he can find. He's after David. And David, by this time, probably has about 600 men. We find out later it's 600 guys. And so David now is outnumbered five to one, and Saul is coming to kill him. It's a bad deal, all right? Verse number three. And when he came to the sheep coats or sheep pens or the folds, by the way, there was a cave. And in Getty to this day is known for the number of caves, scores of caves in this area. He came to this cave and Saul went in to cover his feet. Okay. I don't know what your Bible says there, but mine says to cover his feet. In my Bible, that's a euphemism, which literally means to relieve himself. If you look at the bulletin, sometimes the, the titles of the messages don't make any sense. Usually they don't. But now you can see this idea. What Saul does here is he's going to the washroom. Now, for those of you who have little boys and you've raised little boys, going out to the bathroom outside is no big deal. We get that, right? Some of my boys have thought that the back porch were the fields of Engedi, okay? <laughs> it's just the way it is, right? Matter of fact, one of them one time, I'm trying to think of the member that caught them while they're in the cave of Engedi on the back porch, okay? Like, what are you doing? I don't know which one that was and I don't know who caught him. It was Christy. Christy, you remember that? Yes, all right. Don't, don't say which one that was, all right, but she caught him. Now listen, this is a fact of life, but seldom is it essential to, to document it. Okay, we know this is part of life, and yet the Bible makes it clear, it tells us this detail. And, and, and we think, what it doesn't mean anything, we don't need to know that except for this. Where Saul chooses to relieve himself is in the very cave where David and 600 of his men are hiding. Okay? Now listen. As you think of this story, as we work our way through this, this story, in these next couple of verses, there is so much tension here. Here is Saul who is looking to kill David. He's at 300 men, and now he's some distance from them. He's looking for a little privacy. He goes to this cave. He is separated from his men. He is now in the cave, and unbeknownst to him, there are 600 men whose captain he wants to kill. And they're in there. And for whatever reason, his eyes are not adjusting. He's going from light to darkness. He has no idea that while he's there, these men are in the cave, right? And then he is in a pretty vulnerable position. He's exposed, pardon the pun, but he is exposed, right? I had, a, I had a title for this message. My wife said I couldn't use it. And so, it wasn't bad. It was caught with your pants down. It wasn't a big deal. But I, I listened and I, I just did not do what she said. I didn't use it. All right, so. Um, and so, so, so he, he's vulnerable. And so here he is now. He's in the cave. He is in a vulnerable position. These men are there. And in in verse number four, David now, in the recesses of this cave, he starts to hear some whispers from his men. And they say this, David, 
This is it. This, God has given you your enemy. I, I mean, it's, it's on a platter for you. He has given you Saul. You can kill him now and you can end all of this. With one stroke, David, we don't have to run. We don't have to move. In, in one moment, you can end this thing. And he's hearing these voices. And Saul's still there. And Saul still has no idea. And so then David, in great stealth and skill, comes up behind Saul. We see the glint of the blade. And with one swift stroke, he cuts off a portion of his robe. Saul has no idea. He walks out of the cave, and that's it. Now, if you're like me, and I know you're not, but if you're like me, and I'm watching this as a movie, and I know that Saul's a bad guy, he's wicked, David's innocent, and now Saul is there, and David can take his life. When I hear that David cut off his robe, and then that was the end of the story, I say, boo, 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 you should have capped that guy. He needed to be axed. You should have killed him. Anybody else feeling that way? Okay, a couple of you are ungodly like I am, Okay. But just so that you know, we're not the only ones that think that. Verses 5 through 7, David's men are upset now. Really upset. Because they what are you, are you kidding me? I mean, you had your enemy, God delivered him, and all you did was cut a piece of his robe off? And, and the conversation in that cave was so heated that in verse number 7, I think it is, the Bible says that David stayed them with his word. The word stayed there means tore them apart. He tore them apart. He had to use violent and threatening language to get these guys to cool down because they're upset, just like some of us were upset because we think Saul should be done. This should be the end of the story. And then something interesting happens now in our text with David. His response to this, look with me at verse number five. It came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. And, and, and David now, his heart is smitten. He feels bad because he cut this guy's robe. And you're thinking, what in the world is that? I mean, it's a big deal. He should have killed the guy. But now listen, I want, to, I want to help you now with what I think was happening in David's heart and mind, and we'll come back to this later as well. But the fact is, that robe of Saul's, was symbolic of who he was. He was a king. It was his kingdom. And that kingdom was given to him by the Lord. And so when David cuts a piece off of that, it's an open revolt against Saul, against his kingdom. And what David is doing is he is staking claim to that kingdom. And, And he understands it's God's to give, it's God's to take away. This is not my job. His heart is smitten. And then he makes this statement in verse number seven, I think it is, where he talks about, maybe it was six, the Lord's anointed. It was six. The Lord's anointed. I am not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And that word anointed is a wonderful word. It's the same word we use in the New Testament for Messiah. Anointed one. It's an individual who has been set apart or consecrated to the Lord. And so when Samuel came to Saul, he anointed him with oil. He was set apart. There's this connection now between the Lord and and Saul, even in his wickedness. He's still God's anointed. And the idea is, if you touch the Lord's anointed, you have touched what God is doing. 
And so David realizes it's God's will, but in God's way. And now he's convicted. He feels terrible about it. And we'll get back to this at the end. Let's go on through our scripture now. In, in verses 8 through 22, uh, they're the longest recorded words of both David and Saul in all of 1 Samuel. It's a conversation they have now. Saul leaves the cave in verse number 8. And then David comes out, he says, unto Saul saying, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped and his face, with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And, and you might wonder, hey, this guy is a scumbag. Who cares? Why would David use respect? Why would David humble himself? But I think what we don't understand in this whole story is that Saul is a sovereign ruler. He's trying to kill this guy and no one can stop him. There is no, you know, uh, appeals process. There is no human rights commission. Saul does what Saul wants to do, and in essence, David's life is still, humanly speaking, in his hand. This would be like being under Kim Jong-il, or the crazy kid he has now. You, you, you can't do anything about it. And David understands this, and he knows this. And so he comes out with great respect. Here's what he says to Saul. Wherefore hearest thou men's words? Saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day... Thine eyes have seen how the Lord hath delivered thee today into my hand in the cave, and some bade me kill thee. But my eyes spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth mine hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not, know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but my hand shall not be upon thee. And what David's saying is, look it, I could have killed you if it was true what everyone's telling you, which I don't think anyone was telling him that in the first place, but if that was true, listen, I'm proving to you I could have killed you, I didn't, I'm innocent. And now he does something very godly um, and very bold. Now in verse number 13, he says this, As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked. And what David's going to do here is David is respectfully approaching Saul, but Saul is wicked, and David is going to tell him that he's wicked. This old proverb says, wickedness proceeds or comes from those who are wicked. And the idea is that our character is revealed by our conduct. And what David is saying is, listen, we know that wicked people do wicked things. Innocent people do innocent th things. And just so that you don't miss this, in the next verse, he makes the connection. He says, after whom is the king of Israel come out? And we miss this in our English Bibles, but in Hebrew, the word for proceed and the word come out are the same words. To go out, to come out by. It's the same thing. And what David is doing is making the connection saying, listen, Saul, you are wicked. You're trying to kill me and I'm innocent. We have a problem in our society today. We, we live in a world today where we think that it, it's, it, it's, it's not loving to tell someone truth. We think the most loving thing we could do is let people continue and not rock the boat, not talk about their wickedness, not talk about their sin, and that's the most loving thing we can do. It's wrong, my friend. David makes a bold claim here. He, it could cost him his life, but he's, he's confronting wickedness. 
Listen to me. If you really love people, if you really love someone, you will confront wickedness. Why? Because we understand that sin and wickedness always leads to destruction. Always. It might paint a pretty picture, but in the end, it is wicked, life-destroying, and it leads to death. It is not loving just to talk about love with people you love. We've got to correct those that we love. I was in a funeral earlier this year, and uh, Kim and I were there, and the minister, she was trying, I think, to give the gospel. And, and as she was giving the gospel, what she thought was the gospel, she kept on talking about how God loves and God loves and love, 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 and, and honey, love, love, love is all you need. It went on and it was, it was just all about love. And then she said, Jesus came because he loved and he loved and he loved you so much he died and he died because he loved you. And all of those things are true, but listen to me. When you tell someone only that God loves them, it means nothing. So What? But when they understand that they are sinners who are wicked, who've offended a holy and righteous and just God, and this God will deal with all sin, your sin and my sin, and one day he will take all sin and he will quarantine it and keep it in one place called hell forever. When we know that, then this love of God means something more to us. That's the gospel, right? My friend, listen to me. It is not loving to ignore wickedness in your life, in my life, or the lives of people we love. And so David confronts him. Okay? So he confronts him. Verse number 16. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words that Saul, unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Saul is one weird dude. Honestly, honestly, I, I don't know why he's weeping. Maybe because it's just been a near-death experience, which is like, oh my, I almost died. Maybe the words of David meant something to him. Maybe he knows at this point he's lost the kingdom. But Saul starts weeping. Listen to me. Nothing wrong with weeping. But Saul does it all the time, and he never changes. Some of you folks... You get upset and you get bent out of shape and and God does something and you weep about it, but that is not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of life. And Saul doesn't do it. He weeps, he cries, he feels sorry, but he never changes. It's not repentance. And and you're going to see this little weeping fit means nothing because two chapters later, he's trying to kill him again. So Saul goes on and... uh, Let's just read a couple of these verses now. Verse 17. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I am, and hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord hath delivered me into thy hand, thou kills me not. And he goes on and on to the end of the chapter. And he really does thank David for not killing him. At the end, they, they part their ways. David goes to hide, and Saul goes back home. And that's in the story. Now, let, let me talk to you a little bit about what's happening here. There's a lot happening in this text. I want to point out three things and just major on the last one, but quickly, here's the first thing that we see in this text. When, when David is confronted with, with Saul and this situation, we see that he doesn't have a short fuse. 
He just doesn't. Saul was his biggest antagonist. Saul wanted his life. And here Saul is now exposed to him. He is vulnerable, and David does not act out in anger, in this short fuse, which we would, I would say, man, it seems like you're right to do that. He does not do that. He shows restraint of his flesh in this cave. We live in a world today full of short fuses, do we not? If you don't think so, Look at the news. Last week, 71-year-old man, former cop in Florida, is at a theater, and people are texting in front of him. And so he tells them to stop. An altercation pursues. Popcorn is spilled, and he shoots two of them. Kills a man, and the woman, I think, has recovered. Out of control. Chicago, the other day, I think it was last night, on the highway, three people shot. You say, oh, those are those crazy Americans and their guns, right? But can I tell you something? That murderous behavior is found in our hearts. And we just explode and we blow up and it's in there. I was watching something the other day on on YouTube and it was a spoof on a Christian, Christian road rage. You, You ought to see it. But here's a guy and he's praising the Lord and someone cuts in front of him and he starts screaming, You uncircumcised Philistines! This is this is his his Christian road rage. <laughs> going on. And then he's, God, I know, he's praying back to God then and, and something else happens. He says, God, why did you make so many stupid children? And he's going on and on and, and it's in there, right? Am I the only good driver? Am I blessed with the gift of driving? These people are stupid. He's, he's just freaking out. He's freaking out. Christian, listen to me. There's something wrong. Hey, I, I don't know about you, but I know that anger is within. It's there. But in our Christian life, we should be seeing less and less of that happening. Okay? When, when you're in the drive-thru for Tim Hortons, if you're freaking out because you've got to wait an extra 30 seconds, something's, you know, something's maybe not right in there. Right? If the kid spills milk and they weren't messing around and you freak out, I'm telling you, something, there is a work of grace that is not being completed in your life. And, and here's the deal, right? We, we can look at David and his self-restraint, but look at our Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 2. And here's what Peter tells about our Lord. He says, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leave us an example that we should follow his steps. And every Christian says, Yep, that's, I'm supposed to follow Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. Okay, let's continue reading here. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. And he's setting up us to know that he is innocent no matter what happens to him. He doesn't deserve it. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Verse 24. Is that all I have? That's all I needed. You're right. I was wrong. That's all I needed. All right. Good job, Dave. All right. See what he's saying here? Listen, here's our Lord. He doesn't respond like that. He was innocent. They spit on him. They scoffed him. They mocked him. They beat him. He doesn't respond in like kind. Listen to me. For many of us this morning, you know and I know this murderous spirit, it is within us. I feel it sometimes. It sort of just bubbles out. But by the grace of God, I don't have to stay that way. I can follow the example of David, but more importantly, I should follow the steps of Jesus Christ and allow the Spirit of God to begin to do a work in my heart and life. Confess it, forsake it, get rid of it. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. There ain't nothing good accomplished. I know the English is bad. There ain't nothing good accomplished 
when you strike out in anger? Nothing. Nothing. And so we see that's going on. So the short fuse thing is going on. Here's the second thing that's going on. Shortcuts. Shortcuts. David was promised the kingdom. It was coming to him. God told him that. But his men say, wait a minute, David, this is it. We can do it now. We can have it now. Just one quick stroke, and this is done. Don't worry about the long path or the hard path. Just do this now, and we're finished. They were tempted with the shortcut. Listen to me. It's dangerous. I'm not talking about driving and cutting off a street. It's a shortcut. I'm talking about in life. This is dangerous. This is the same thing, again, that Jesus was offered. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. You remember the temptation? Here is Jesus, and Satan says to him, listen, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. Listen to me. That's a legitimate offer, because one day, Jesus Christ will rule and reign, and he will be in charge of everything. And everything will be made right. That's legitimate. But what Satan wants him to do is to do it his way. Hey, just bow down and worship me, and you can have it all. He wanted him to go through listening to Satan instead of the humility of the cross. And that was not God's way. Be careful with this. We're all tempted to look for a shortcut or a secret. And some of us say, as Christians, what's the secret to the Christian life? I'm going to give it to you. Now listen to this, okay? Here it comes. Get your pens ready. What is the secret to the Christian life? What's the shortcut? How can I get there so I'm, you know, I'm living this life of faith and I'm, I'm just growing and, and all these things are happening? Here's the secret. If you have children and you've seen Kung Fu Panda, you'll understand in a moment, okay? Here's the secret. There is no secret. None. You want to grow in grace? There's no shortcut. That's why Paul says, endure, fight, run the race, battle, man, battle. Just don't be engaged in this world and caught up in this world. Don't be entangled by it. It's a fight. It's a battle. It's a journey. It's a race. It's not easy. It will not be easy. You've got to pray. You've got to read. You've got to assemble. You've got to have accountability. There's nothing easy. There is no secret. There is no shortcut. Quit looking for it. It doesn't exist, man. I just read this new book, The Secrets of the Christian Life. You'll read a thousand of them and you won't change. There is no secret. Don't be caught up in the temptation of the shortcut. And here's really the point of the message today. Sure, David has a short, he doesn't have a short fuse, he doesn't take a shortcut, but you still have to ask this, why in the world didn't he just kill the guy? Well, I mean, honestly, Saul was trying... He was running for his life. This was his opportunity. And the only thing I can tell you this morning is the reason David did not take the life of Saul is because he believed in the word of God. In our text, in, in 1 Samuel chap, chapter 24, I think it's verse number 10, we, we find those words where he talks about the Lord's anointed. That was God saying, David, I have anointed Saul. That's the word of God. And then in verse number 12 of the text, he says this. He goes on to say, I'm not going to take vengeance against you. That is, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, that God is the one for vengeance. David does not act out. The one principle that keeps David from acting out and taking the life of Saul is the word of God. He believed it, he knew it, and he applied it. Listen to me, and here's the point. Starting from Gad to this point. Do you understand, Christian, the importance of having this, of knowing it, 
and applying it. We must know this book. We must live by this book. I am appalled at how many Christian people completely disregard the word of God. And somehow, some way, we believe that we're okay. We're not okay. You and I are more like Saul making messes of our life because we have disregarded the word of God than we are ever like David in this point. David listens to Gad, he hears him, he tucks that away, he knows the word of God, he doesn't act out when it would be convenient for him to act out. He doesn't do that. He is dictated by the word of God. Listen to me, Christian. Are you, is your life, is your life guided by this book? I get so tired of Christian people saying to me, Pastor, just chill out. God wants me to be happy. Don't say that to me. Because I have a short fuse and take a shortcut and do some other things, right? Hey, listen to me. Give me your verse for that. You know what God wants you to be? He wants you to be holy. Holy. God is more concerned about your character than your comfort. And for too many of us, it's, it's Christian people. I'm, I'm talking now, not to the world. I'm talking to believers. How convenient, like David's men, this is a shortcut, or this feels right, or this is an opportunity, or I just feel this way, and we do it without consulting the word of God, and we're going to make a mess out of it. A mess. Listen, I understand that in this world we live in, there is sin, and there is tragedy, and there is sorrow, but, but help me understand this. How is it that two Christian people who love Jesus Christ cannot make a marriage work? How, how, does, how, how does that happen? Because we disregard the word of God. Not willing to give of myself and to sacrifice and do these things. And listen, I know, I get it. We have divorced folks here. I'm not bashing. I know, I understand how sin works. And there are people who, it just happens that way. But two people right now in a Christian relationship, why is it that they can't look at the word of God and say, okay, it's not about me. It's never about me. It's bigger than that. It's about living a selfless life. Why? For God's glory. Do you understand something? That marriage is, oh, it's just a convenient thing to do. It's, it's, you know, we've sort of evolved in that. No, marriage is from God. It's from God. And the truth is, a good marriage shows the world the love of Christ and his church. We have Christian people just jumping out of it because they don't feel like it anymore. Can I tell you something? After 27 years, I promise you this. There have been plenty of times that my wife didn't feel like loving me. I know you find that hard to believe, but it is true. You know, lovable guy around, right? 27 years. It's not based on how she feels or how I feel. It's based on the word of God. So I was raising our kids. Our kids have no idea what this Christian life is about. We're not sharing. We're not teaching. We're not telling them. We're neglecting the word of God. We're allowing the television to raise them or their classmates to raise them. And we don't know this book and we're not applying it. And we wonder why our kids leave our churches and want nothing to do with us. We're not living out the book. We don't know the book. And Christian people, at your place of work, well, I'm sorry, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. We live in a world, this is very dangerous, now because of social media, we can say whatever we want to say. I'm just going to, on Facebook, I'm going to air all my grievance, you're gonna, and I'm going to text. Listen, you see people face to face. There's a difference with that. 
We have this idea that I can say whatever I want, I can do whatever I want, and so at work, when the boss gives me a hard time, I don't care. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to shelf it for a few minutes. What, what are we doing? We have totally disregarded God's word. He has told us how to live our lives, and it applies when we leave this place. It applies in our homes, in our marriages, with our kids, in our neighborhoods, at our places of work. And yet we, I'm, talk, I'm not talking to the world, we as Christian people, we bring them to, we have it on the wall, we have it on our coffee table, but do you understand the privilege we have of this book? God has spoken, has revealed himself to us by this word, and this is what we believe for the saving of our soul. Do you know something? Christian, you are trusting your eternal soul on what this, that's it. This is, this is what you have, the word of God. And yet, I'm not willing to trust my daily life, my marriage, my kids, my business, my workplace, my neighborhood, my interaction at school. I don't know about you, but it sounds pretty foolish to me. Saul was a man who disregarded Samuel and the word of God. He destroyed his life. And too many Christian people today, my fear is, we disregard this book because we know better, we feel like it, it's convenient, it's a shortcut. I'm telling you something, it will lead to destruction. That's the truth. It's all about this. Do you understand what we have this morning? Do you know it? And how are you applying it to your life? Let's as a church not be like Saul, Let's have the church be like David. Hey, David blew it. David struggled. I, I get it. But when he was confronted, he made it right. When the word of God approached him, and talked about his sin and what he had to do, he made it right. Let's love the book. Let's live by the book. Let's pray this morning.